Southern Foodways Alliance work wouldn't be possible without generous donors. Today we thank Maker's Mark, a family-owned distillery in Loretto, Kentucky, that still rotates barrels by hand and dips each bottle of bourbon in their signature red wax. It's the perfect bourbon for sipping on your porch in the cool of the evening. We're also grateful to longtime friends Lodge Cast Iron, a family-owned foundry in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. From Camp Dutch ovens to cast iron skillets and grill pans, Lodge makes the cookware that you need for your socially distanced dinner parties and camping vacations. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. Jill McCorkle published her first two novels on the same day in 1984. Of those novels, the New York Times Book Review said, one suspects the author of The Cheerleader is a born novelist. With July 7th, she is also a full-grown one. Since then, Jill has published five other novels, including her latest, Hieroglyphics. Five of her books have been named New York Times Notable Books. Inducted into the North Carolina Literary Hall of Fame, she is a member of the Fellowship of Southern Writers. Tom Rankin is her spouse and is the co-author of their new book of photographs and essays called Goat Light, published in the limited edition by Horse and Buggy Press. Tom directs the MFA program in experimental and documentary art and is professor of the practice of art at Duke University. His books include Sacred Space, Photographs from the Mississippi Delta, and Faulkner's World, the photographs of Martin J. Dane. Tom serves, and we thank him for his service, on the SFA Advisory Board. Tom Rankin talked with John T. about, among other matters, how the husbandry of goats afforded Jill and him keen perspectives on the future of the South. This is a book about goats. It's a book about an ecosystem. It's a book about photography. It's also a book, to me, about, you know, a, a a kind of ballet of animals and humans in one particular place in North Carolina and set the scene for me of where this book transpires. Where are we? So we're, you know, when, when Jill and I met, I was already raising goats and we married and moved in out to our place in North of Hillsboro on the Eno river. And, uh, on 60 acres and and I you know had built fences where we had pastures for goats and and a horse and uh people that worked for me at the Center for Documentary Studies gave us a donkey for our wedding uh a guard donkey which we always refer to as a marital donkey um, everybody needs one <laughs> um and uh and so you know in in some ways Jill would be quick to say she never like woke up one morning and said, I'm going to be a, a, a goat farmer. But here we were. And, uh, and we had at one point five dogs when we merged our dogs together. And, and, uh, and so, as you say, this ecosystem, uh, that, that was us and our, our blended kids in and out of the house and, uh, and these animals became as much a part of daily life as, 
as the rest of our work and uh and a great deal of pleasure from it uh, you know at times a great deal of of headache but um but a great deal of pleasure and and so how did this book you know i think i was photographing all the time i would carry my camera with me in the mornings when i would feed goats because i was beginning to see things i wanted to photograph and you always have a cell phone or i always had a cell phone in my pocket mm -hmm. which is a or a modern phenomenon. And I would decided I wanted to try to blend, you know, the real photographs, that is film photographs with cell phone photographs as a, as an artistic challenge. And, uh, and one thing led to another and, and we started talking about doing a book sort of outside the frame of our normal, uh, mm -hmm. kind of publishing, you know, not Algonquin or UNC press or, what would it be to just to do a booklet that we wanted to do and we didn't have to uh, do anything else? So we one thing led to another and it, it took us to this letter press, Horse and Buggy Press and Dave Wofford in, in Durham. And, uh, and in some ways, this is a big uh, valentine to our life, I guess. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I hope it's more than that. But, but you know, it, at the base. It can be both. It, yeah, it's, it is... Um, it's kind of like, you know, take family, day-to-day uh, -day family life, the most mundane things, and try to make uh, something bigger out of it. And uh, I, I, you know, Jill's ability to, to observe and then translate it into even more interesting words um, is, you know, is, is well known. And, uh, and that comes through here very much. She's always said this is basically a photo book. She didn't want to write too much, but I think her, her few words carry a huge amount of, of, of weight in, in, this, uh, in this truckload of goats, as, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, I, you know, and it's also, I mean, without a, a doubt, to collaborate with, you know, with a spouse uh, on an artistic project that is organic. You know, I don't mean that in the Right. That, that develops organically is is you know the the greatest thing um and mm -hmm. and that's hard to do i mean she writes novels that take and short stories that have nothing to do with what i do during the day and so finding a way to intersect has really been wonderful um i don't know that you know we might do more of them but but um this has been it just sort of emerged out of out of the most mundane you know, parts of the day. And I think that's where, for me, that's the magic, the, where art really lives. If you can find it there, you, you are really lucky because I think the most interesting things are often in our own backyard, right under our nose. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the ph photography is greatest when it deals with things we know about, but don't really attend to on a daily basis. And so here we are. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do anyway. The backyard has become bigger <laughs> or, or more necessary. You're saying the COVID context has made goats more relevant, or like well, I, I mean, I think it's made. I think the COVID context has made uh, sort of personal sustainability more relevant, mm -hmm. and it's it's turned for, for better or worse, or, or whether by choice or not, it's turned people uh, more attentive to their own little backyard or in Oxford terms, their own little postage stamp. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the, it, I mean, the facts are there that, you know, gardening is up, all these things are up. And, and the interesting thing about 
about goats, you know, broadly is is that they they are this uh, low maintenance, you know, low impact, small uh, small industry kind of thing, and and at least metaphorically, the you know raising goats fits perfect with the idea that uh, you can't really go anywhere, and what are you going to do about it? Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know how are you, how are you going to sustain yourself and uh, you know both responsibly and somewhat uh, manageably easily. Uh, you know when I one of the things that when I've got started raising goats, you know I really wanted to raise some kind of livestock, and I did not want to raise any kind of livestock that required more than me. Uh, and so pretty quickly that that obviously knocks out a cow. You can't you can't uh, you know, one man yeah. can't, can't wrestle a cow, right? And so, so it 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 puts it on a kind of very very uh, individual and human scale that I think COVID has has sort of urged us to rethink what that means. You know, what does it mean to 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 stay home and uh, yeah and, and not go crazy and and but you know, and so I think I think that in many ways this moment. Just uh, it, you know, amplifies the the potential of of you know, small is beautiful. I think about um, I don't know this notion that goat meat is the most widely consumed protein in the world now, and that usage is um, rising here in the South um, for our fall symposium this year. Oscar Diaz is cooking a Brunsmeck. A Brunsmax, Brunswick stew, um, you know, and, and yeah. these are easy and um, appropriate and delicious um, applications. As, as you talked about um, the kind of crossroads that goats afford you and the connections across difference that they afford you, how is that translated into food on your table? Are, are, are you actually eating much goat or are you too close to the source? We eat a, a, a fair amount. Um, I'm pretty close to the source, so I have to be um, be careful. I mean, I've tried, um, you know, over the years, uh, butchering my own goats, and and I'll just be honest. I would rather um, have a, yeah. a little more distance because I spend so much time with them. But at the same time, I, I you know, I love to cook a, a half a goat or a whole goat, uh, butterfly on a to smoke a goat. Um, we 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 grind up a decent amount, and I make uh, uh, a really simple uh, Trinity meatloaf of of uh, pork, mm-hmm. venison, and goat. Um, that you know, if if I had a restaurant and you could serve venison, that's what I would 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 do. It's 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 wonderful sort of blend of of, of three meats that are complementary, and that you know one gives a little more uh, fat than that the other needs, and. And one gives more lean, so we eat a decent amount. Not you know, we don't eat it all the time. I, I'd like curried goat, like everybody, like anybody else. Mm-hmm. That, um, but but I I would say my favorite uh, way to cook goat is to uh, is is on a, a a smoker, a pig smoker, mm-hmm. uh, and to, and to cook a pretty big piece. Um, one year uh, for Fourth of July, we were at the beach and the kids were there, and we had pork ribs and goat ribs, and obviously goat ribs. Are much smaller, um, yeah. 
uh, only thing anybody wanted was the goat ribs. I mean, we ran out of goat ribs in no time. The kids were like, these are the best ribs I've ever had. What is this? And these are goat ribs. And they're like, oh, you've got to be kidding. These are the best, best ones on the, on the grill. So there's a way in which um, I think goat, you know, we could, we could argue, too, that, that goat may be, you know, when I use the word redeem, to redeem the goat, there's a way in which goat meat may be a, a, a kind of healthier meat than we mm-hmm. normally eat. And if we could somehow turn the corner on this idea that it, it's not something we eat, right. uh, we, we would be much better off. Um, we also could turn, you know, we're, we're using goats to, 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 to uh, trim the kudzu back. Um, and, but we're not eating those goats. You know, we're then right. renting them out to the next uh, highway department that needs them. So if we could somehow uh, connect those things, um, they're they're easy on the land, um, mm-hmm. and they eat invasives, uh, um, and and on and on. I, th- I think there's a lot of potential there. I don't think anybody, you know, when we when you and I talked about the the future is goat. I mean, it's not the future isn't goat like the future is plastics. You know, you're not going to get rich on goats, <laughs> right? <laughs> but 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 that's not the only future um the the, the right. future the, the future of sustainability and of of uh, connectivity to uh to food and to health i think there's a great deal of potential there uh but we've got to turn the corner and we've got to understand that that crossroads here we go that that there's 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 really um there is something at that crossroads Mm-hmm. More than just interest, there's something we could really learn at that crossroads that could could help us, uh, you know, moving forward. And uh, and I think uh, we could learn from from those people that are coming to those crossroads to buy these goats and that are eating them on a regular basis. Uh, and 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 we should. Um, I've been waiting for the you know the first kind of chef uh, restaurateur to to. Uh, to open the, you know, not the all goat restaurant, but the basically right. uh, heavy goat restaurant um, and just <laughs> set the world on fire. Because um, yeah. that's what it's going to take, I, I think, uh, you know, in some ways. Going back and doing research on like some of my favorite barbecue restaurants that I grew up on in Georgia, you yeah. know, Fresh Air Barbecue, which is the oldest um, still running joint in Georgia open since the 20s. If you go back and look at early menus, you know, goat is the most prominent meat they're serving. They're also serving rabbit and other things. But, you know, pork is is a, is a comparative also ran in the beginnings of that business. Right, um, right. So there's some, you know, and as we both know, you having lived in North, um, up here in, in North Mississippi and me living here in North Mississippi now, one of the most Kind of documented goat human exchanges, <laughs> um, you know the the Otha Turner goat roast right. annually here um, coming up very soon this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there, there's an historical record on which to draw. Yes, this the goats we recognize immigrants to this country embracing them and you know Spanish speaking people and the like. But there's you know old fashioned black and white folk. Um, who have long mm-hmm. embraced it too. There's just been like there've been with so many things about food culture in America, a gap. Um, and do we, can we mend the gap and to what end can we mend the gap? Yeah. I mean, I think it gets back to the sort of labeling of, of what, you know, what's appropriate for who and, and who's right. 
who's new and who who gets to cross the border and who's who's on the right and who's on the left. You know, it goes. I mean, you know, the sheep, the the, the sheep and the and the goats. I mean, it goes back to that. And in, in, I don't. I'm not saying uh, consciously, but it but but right. it's certainly there. And uh, you know, we we uh, we need to you know, to open the food borders a little bit. Uh, and, mm. and, uh, and, and if we did that, um, we would all be better off on, on, in, in so many ways. And, uh, and, and we, and I don't mean it just in the, on the sort of high end, you know, consume right. the, the, right. sort of, right. the sort of hipster thing, but, but just, um, just broadening our, our, our palate literally and, and, and metaphorically. And, you know, here we we're talking about this in in 2020 when, you know, when um, you don't have to put this in there, but when the government is, you know, when our when our uh, current administration would would like to limit uh, the borders and 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 limit right. the uh, the crossroads and and uh, have fewer people come to the crossroads and uh, and and it's just there's no future there uh, would be my argument. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead, follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them Gravy said hey. I also see in this book, Tom, uh, this moment or um, goats themselves afford you a chance to watch in an almost like Chauncey Gardner kind of way, you know, you know, remember Chauncey Gardner wandering around after he left the employee of, of um, the, the baronial home. And, you know, he's got his, he's got his uh, remote control and, you know, he's clicking right. around like, you know, he is, he is watching. Um, and, and we, the viewer find profundity in what he sees and what he says about what he sees. There's profundity in your observations and Jill's observations about goats and what they're showing us if we care to watch. Yeah, I think that is one of the 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 reasons now when I and when I look back on why you know why fool you know why make yourself every morning have to tend to to some animals. Um, it's been a great uh, balance to going to a university and teaching and going in meetings where. Um, you know, nobody listens and nothing ever comes to closure. <laughs> and, 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 oh. and, 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 and you go, you go to it, you know, you're with goats on a regular basis or you're with a particular piece of land on a regular basis. And it's, it, you see things so clearly and you also see an evolution in a very small, mm -hmm. gradual, uh, profound, I mean, you use this profound kind of way. And I've always been drawn to, you know, to to those artists who have talked about this philosophically, of, from Thoreau to Wendell Berry to, you know, to mm -hmm. uh, Lucy Lippard. I mean, there's a lot of people that have talked about place and locale and Annie Dillard. Um, and 
and I'm one who likes to, uh, I'm very tactile, so I like to experience these ideas, not just read about them. And I think that, that that's what this, this has provided. It's, and it's provided a, a kind of uh, uh, balance to the rest of, of, of life, which is also really wonderful. And, and, you know, one wouldn't be very wonderful without the other. Uh, you know, spending an hour working with goats is one thing. Spending 12, 12 hours a day would be quite another. And so I get the, <laughs> I, I get the beauty of it. And, and, I, and it is a kind of pastoral romanticism. There's no mm-hmm. question. Um, and, but there's, there's also a lot of reality to it. You know, there's a lot of escaped goats and there's a lot of mortality and there's a lot of hoof rot and there's a lot of, uh, parasites and, and somebody's got to deal with that. I actually kind of enjoy that, uh, puzzle and, and the physicality of it because Mm -hmm. the rest of my life sitting in a faculty meeting, say, or even teaching a class is the reverse of physicality. You write here too, and you you just mentioned some of this the 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 pleasures of repetition, and you know I think about a, a photographer like William Christenberry who returned to the Black Belt of Alabama, and we saw you know change in landscape and and uh, the people who inhabited it over time, um, and you rely upon repetition here too, both in the patterns of your daily life and in your return to these goats every day. And and they give you back something in return. The landscape gives you back something in return. Right. Yeah. I, I, I am drawn to that. I mean, I think that photography for me is about, you know, time and the passage of time. And so how do you, how do you discover that? Um, One way is, is that idea of returning and looking at the same thing through time and and what does that looking look like what what changed in in the landscape but also what changed in the person who's looking at the landscape mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to, to to get to some of that one of my favorite um, lines from the history of photography from William Henry Fox Talbot he talked about how he was photographing uh, this is you know in 1840 the injuries of time and weather and and I'm really interested in in time and weather in their you know the the metaphoric sense and there's no uh nothing gets you that better than than walking the same path every day <laughs> you know whether you live in New York City or or have goats that would be the, that could be the same and I I'm I'm just drawn to that idea uh that ritual idea and and what do you see what do you you know how do you look what and and your acuity, your vision changes, but the acuity uh, I think increases over time. And uh, mm-hmm. and that is also the experience. You know, it's it's not just looking because you're you're there. You know, you right. The goat, the goat knocks you down, and then <laughs> it looks different, or whatever happens. You know, um, something or somebody comes to buy a goat, and you have this interaction you could never have uh, have planned for. Um, you know, most of the people that buy goats, at least off the on the hoof, from you know, to drive up and buy them, and are, you know, from the from Spanish speaking communities around the triangle, and uh, and those interactions and friendships, and you know, have developed, and so so there is a kind of uh, uh, a broadening of one's world that the, the paradox of a, of a small place and, and a small animal broadening a world into much larger is something that yeah. I'm not the first uh, to, 
recognize, but that often happens, and I like that. Well, this this seems a um, uh, I don't know a um, exploded version of the walk in the park with your dog. And you meet new people. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it is, and I think it's a universe. In that sense, it's a universal. Uh, right. impulse, impulse and, and desire and, and people find it different ways. And I would be the last one to prescribe that everybody blow up their TV and move to the country and get them some goats. But, uh, but it's pretty to think so. But you can <laughs> sing a few bars. Yeah, I can sing a few <laughs> bars. Right. Um, yeah. You know, in, a moment ago you used the word, you know, on the road or you were talking about a path forward and, one of the things you and I've talked about over time is is the kind of crossroads aspect of goats, and you began mm-hmm. to talk about that here now. But I'd, I'd I'd like you to go deeper into that kind of the metaphorical ideas that are resonant in in this work you're doing, not only in the photographs you're making, but as a writer, you and Jill, like you know, as y'all sit down to talk about what does this really mean? Um, what ideas are running through your head? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, I am drawn to the idea in this, the, the, the going back to the earliest, some of the earliest uh, sort of renderings of goat, that they're the dam, you know, they're, they're sort of in the Bible, they're lost and forever damned. Mm-hmm. I'm drawn to, uh, to, to those words, the, the people and communities that get labeled that way. I've always found that because I know that it's actually more complicated than that. And so, that's sort of where, um, where I, I start, and then and then you find out that you know goat is, is goat meat is is the most eaten meat in the world. It's uh, it's it you know you can you can go and talk to uh, college educated Caucasians who turn their nose up at goats, but the rest of the world is is eating it. And I, and I find that the intersections that that goat brings you to in this, these new demographics in the South, but it could, it would be all over this country and, mm-hmm. um, is, is, is encouraging. It's not only interesting, it's encouraging. And it's, uh, it's, there is a redemptive quality I find in that when I go to Abdul Chandri in Salar city and, and talk to his, his kids who are college educated and they're running this, uh, Hallel meat processing plant and they're, mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about, you know, they're off their deep sea fishing uh, or their motorcycles and also uh, <laughs> how, to, how to how to do these goats. It 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 re- it just reminds you that that the way the world has the way we carve up the world in these little neighborhoods and little enclaves is 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 not uh, going anywhere. And, and there's another way mm-hmm. to do it. And the goat, you know, is just. That an excuse in some strange way. I guess it's not fair to the goat, but it's an excuse. <laughs> it's an excuse for people like me to to come to some of those uh, those conversations and those mm-hmm. ideas in a way that you wouldn't uh, otherwise. And you're not doing it virtually or vicariously. Yeah. You're doing it actually, and and that's also. <laughs> you almost sound like somebody. I just read this great book, and I had these insights. You know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that the other thing is that you know, you. The other day, uh, this this guy Uriel who buys uh, goats, you know, we're out there, uh, 
running, trying to catch a goat together. Uh, you know, we, I mean, who are we to be out there? We're, we're trying to do, accomplish the same thing in, in this, in this moment. I, I really cherish that. Um, and, and, and I don't cherish that just sort of romantically. I cherish the, the actual thing itself, you know, mm-hmm. as a 63 year old fool out chasing a goat, um, you know, long may they run kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and so that's, um, I, I, but I think it is a crossroads. I think there's a crossroad potential to, um, to, to farming in general, uh, I would say, and, and, mm-hmm. agri- you know, s- small agriculture and farmers markets. And I mean, you know, this and food in general, but I think the goat, um, is, is just, uh, uh, is, is just, is seen out of the frame enough to even be a potentially more interesting crossroad. And when I mm-hmm. say out of the frame, I, I, I mean that it's seen as something they eat, not we eat, or I wouldn't eat that, they eat that. And, and I'm drawn to those things in the same way that I've always been drawn to, to any kind of bottom feeder, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, um, and, and so it's both metaphor, it's a, both real and, and, a, and a metaphor for what we all actually need to be doing more of, which is looking on the fringes and seeing what's there and who's there and bringing more of that into the circle. Um, which, which is makers of things, writers and artists, like that's where in those liminal spaces, that's where the most interesting things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's true in the natural world too. I mean, if you look at, at where the ecosystem is richest, um, it's between the pasture and the woods, right on that limit, right on that edge. Um, in those liminal Mm -hmm. spaces, where did, where do you find deer? I mean, I hunt, uh, where, you know, where do you find deer? Well, they, you don't find them in the middle of the field and you don't always find them in the middle of the woods. You find them on those edges. And so the, the world's most interesting on the edges. I tell students the edge of the arts and humanities, the edges between, aesthetics mm-hmm. and politics um it's, it's these these lessons are as old as 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 thought but um you see it with with goats too you you let your goats out and they go to the edges uh so it's huh. it's it's um uh, you know i like seeing all that uh connect connect and some of it is hard to put into words because it's it's it is something you said talked about looking it's something yeah. you just see and trying to make pictures that evoke that, uh, you know, pictures are are often impotent to to get to some of these ideas. But it's it's uh, it's a challenge, and it's a pleasure to try to try to, to find those moments. Well, in, in the idea of trying to define those moments, you know, I'm spending this morning talking to you, but this is a collaboration with your wife Jill McCorkle, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, in in homage to her work on this book, would you please read Jill's take on the chorus? Sure, it's a that, it's one of my favorites. Um, so this is uh, this is a uh, uh, Jill writing about our our uh, our dogs essentially, uh, but but our the ecosystem around us. When Zeno was a puppy, he attached himself to Okra, our black and white border collie, who. Once he was grown and outweighed her by 70 pounds, looked like a small version of the younger dog. Stretched side by side, they resembled an optical illusion. She could lift her lip 
and growl, however, and he would freeze, completely subservient to the one he seemed to believe was his mother. He is a Karakakan, or Bulgarian Shepherd, a livestock guard dog, the night patrolman. We call him the big guy, and his whole job is to survey his turf and make sure that nothing in has gotten out and nothing from the outside has gotten in. It is all very simple and perhaps why he has a strange relationship to doors and gates and anything that divides one side from the other. And yet he grew up with Okra and her brother Rufus, and they are who he looked to for direction. In no time, he began to follow what they did, circling, herding like a giant shepherd. Sometimes he simply races like a locomotive, tackles a creature, and then holds it under his big, calm paw until one of us can claim it. He spent several hours one Sunday in the woods, his big baritone bark intermittent with insistent, never wavering from one spot. When we finally decided to go see, we found him with a fawn cradled in his arms, one large paw holding her in place. A very anxious mother deer was frozen at the edge of the woods, watching until we assured him he could stand down, that this was not one of our kids. Nat Pearl, who was once my student in the MFA program at the University of Georgia, produced this episode. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. Visit SFA at our website, southernfoodways.org. There you can watch our films, um, including our newest, Radical Vision, about 2020 John Edgerton Prize winner Ashton Berry. And while you're there, please consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ears. Thank you.